GrowCFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using GrowCFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the GrowCFO show. And I'm back with Susanna Serrano-Davy today. Hello, Susanna. Hello, Kevin. Susanna, uh, I know um, you're, you're busily writing a book, of which we'll find out much, much more in forthcoming months. I know it's early stages, but I think we're, we're talking today about a topic that you're, you're picking up on in that book, which is all about the relationship with your boss. Indeed, one that many of us have enjoyed and suffered. So I think it's, for me, it's a very interesting topic. And I guess unless you're the, uh, the CEO, you've got a boss, even if the you, boss is the CEO. You always have a boss, I guess. Yeah. You're, you're always trying to please someone. So the word boss here, I think, can be quite wide. in. Yeah. in- and I, I think the Spanish interpretation of boss is probably slightly wider than the English one. And yes. uh, yeah. So, so Susanna, what, what, what's, what relationships could this be covering between who and who? So to me, this relationship is all about that person that you're reporting to or trying to please either directly or indirectly is someone that their view of your performance counts is someone that has influence and power above you in certain aspects it could be your line manager so it could be the CFO reporting to the CEO it could be a finance manager reporting to the FD it could be the CEO that has a a significant investor Uh, in private equity this is this is quite um, normal is someone or it could be a, a group actually it could be you you are you may be dealing with someone that is representing uh, that that figure of I call the shots and you need to do what I say or else uh, kind yeah. of scenario I, I think that's interesting I call the shots so it it could just as easily be an investor as somebody who who you report to for paying rations yeah yeah absolutely it's, it's the person or, or um, figure, not necessarily a person per se, that you need to please in order to be successful in continuing with your job and delivering your job is who measures your performance, who, whose opinion really counts when it comes to deciding are you doing a good job, are you the right person to do this job or, or other jobs, which is a little bit what we'll talk about as we de- deepen into into this topic so the the topic is isn't building relationship with your boss but it's balancing relationship with your boss absolutely why is balancing the relationship so important because i think traditionally certainly when you're a junior in your career um, and in certain cultural environments like for instance in spain or for instance i have had teams in in India so in certain cultures that idea of someone is the boss and someone is the the I don't want to use the word servant that's a little bit excessive but that idea that there are two different levels and the boss calls the shots makes the decisions tells you what to do 
and the person delivering those services or those tasks has to do what is told, please that uh, boss all the time and deliver. So that in there, there is this massive gap. And when I, when I talk about balancing the relationship, it's about closing the emotional gap and recognizing that there is an equilibrium that needs to take place for that relationship to be successful and also for the person delivering that job to, to be recognized and acknowledged um, as someone capable to then progress in their career, for instance, or be heard at a meeting, things like that. You must have some personal experience of this in, in some of the many relationships that, that you've had in the workplace. I have a ton of experience in this because uh, I have been very lucky throughout my career. I have worked in different organisations, larger, smaller. I have been the boss. I have built my own, my own business and sold it. I, I have worked with different styles of boss as well uh, so yes I have quite a lot of little stories to tell which is why after all that experience I've come to um, create this little summary of four areas that I think are important in balancing your relationship with your with your boss or that person of influence and I and I do feel that if we if we look at all these areas whether you're a junior person working in AP or whether you're an FD or a CFO reporting to a CEO, being mindful of this can help you be more empowered as, as a professional. Okay. So th those four areas we're going to look at one by one, Susanna. What, what are the four areas? So the, the, the first one is about establishing mutual responsibilities. And we'll, we can discuss that in more detail. The second one is about separating the job that needs to be done from the person and who we are as individuals and our style. The third one is about finding our voice, which sometimes is harder than you, than you, you think and actually more critical, especially for women. And the fourth one is about promoting a not a peer-to-peer, -peer, but a one-to-one -one relationship, a professional-to-professional -professional relationship to close that gap that I was talking about. Mm, mm. So let's take those one by one. Establishing mutual responsibilities. Tell me more about that, Susanna. Well, this one is about um, remembering that in, in, a, in this type of relationship, there are two parts. It's a contract. It's a contractual rela relationship. You take on a job, they say, okay, this is a job you need to do. I'm going to pay you this amount of money. But there is another exchange. Uh, so it's about remembering that we, um, as, as the person that reports, we have a job to do, and that's usually very, very clear. But actually, the other side, your boss or your line manager or your investor, they also have something to deliver that goes beyond paying you. So being able to clarify and communicate with your line manager, what are your needs? I think it's really, really important. What do you expect? What works well for you? So I think people listening to this podcast may be accustomed to, it's very normal for a line manager when you, when you uh, take on a new member of the staff or, or you take on a new team, 
you tell them what it's like to work with you, what you like, whether you like to be copied on emails or not. But I, what I'm saying is that we need to do it the other way around. So when I, when I started later on in my career, as I, um, I gained in, in confidence to do this, this is the first thing I do when I have a new boss. And there was one particular job, very challenging role that I had for a few years, where I had three bosses, three new bosses in the first year. And the first thing I, I did, not with the first one, that's the one that made me learn, but from then on, in my first meeting with them, I said, this, you know, this is me, this is Susanna, this is what it's like to work with me, to, uh, to, this is what I need you to do. And that went to, I need to make sure we have time together every two weeks, at least on a one-to-one basis, please. And you set the rules of the game for you because if you're not able to communicate that, you may not get what you actually need to get the job done well enough. So I think that's what, uh, to me, means establishing mutual responsibilities. It's being clear that there are two parties that need to deliver, not just you as an uh, inverted commas junior person, but also they have to support you. They have to guide you. They have to train you if necessary. And, and you can do the same. You can be really um, assertive and, and uh, specific about what you need from them. Mm, yeah, I think that comes through in all sorts of areas. Um, remember a project we're putting together, we were putting shared services in place um, and we were looking at the service levels that the shared service team were going to give to the rest of the business. And it was very clear that the the levels of service the shared service was going to give were actually dependent on the things the other party did. We will guarantee to process the payroll on time, but you've got to give us the information about staff changes for the month at the latest by this date. And that's that's the same. That's the, the shared service center was being the the servant yes to the boss that was well the several bosses that were the three or four business units they were supposed to perfect yeah. example you have just given us you can't do one side cannot do their job well without the other side doing their bit whatever it is if it's exactly so, so that's what... take that to an individual level you want me to produce this report well here are the three or four things you've got to give me before I can put this report together. Absolutely. And I think, you know, think, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit crazy about language and how we use, uh, how we communicate. It's, it's not about saying, and it's not about going militant. So please don't confuse what I am trying to say. It's not about saying, I need you to do this. Is that I would really benefit from you helping me do this for, for me to do my best I would gain from what you have to bring to the table. So it's not about crossing your arms and saying, right, until you give me what I need. I'm not, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's more collaborative than that. Yeah. And we, we had a similar conversation a couple of Fridays ago in the gross, situ- gross CFO situation room. Um, a young lady was having a, a significant problem with a whole, t- whole new business team around her. Um, she's in a relatively junior analytical role. And the new team around her wanted to know all sorts of information about the business. And she was then faced with a problem that 
she was spending all day effectively firefighting, putting together ad hoc analysis, where what was really needed was a whole was a whole new set of business reports that could just be produced on a regular basis. And actually, what needed to happen was that those the members of the business team coming together and being a lot more specific about these are the things that we need to manage the business. Now let's take time and build them properly. If you don't do that, you can get into quite a firefighting situation constantly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also I think it's very easy when you first walk into a job, even if you're quite, when you're quite senior, you have in the back of your mind that sense of, I need to prove I'm good enough or I need to, um, I need to deliver. And all of those things sometimes stop you from being firm with what it is you need from, from that, the other party. Mm. And in a way, I think it's a chicken and egg situation because if you're not being assertive with your needs and how it is that they can help you, you're going to come across as less capable, as less uh, someone that is less reliable and someone that is less able to lead. So in, in, in the earlier parts of your career, I think this is very important to exactly do it as well so that you can inspire confidence in others, that you're a safe pair of hands, someone that can be that option for the next promotion or, or a job in another part of the department or whatever. Mm, yeah. So it's establishing mutual responsibilities. Get that. Mm-hmm. Next one, separating job from person. This is tricky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at you and me. We always enjoy our podcast. I don't know about the listeners, whether they enjoy listening to us, but I certainly always have a good time. This is a perfect example that two people that communicate well together and it's easy. And that's all very good. However, it's not always, that's not always the case with everyone that we work with. And I suppose this point you could extrapolate not only to the relationship with your line manager or boss, but with people in general. I think sometimes we mix, we cross those boundaries of mixing the job that needs to be done and the task at at hand with the personal style. And they're two separate things. And what I mean to say is um, sometimes, I I personally, and I'm sure everyone listening, sometimes I've had to do things that I wasn't particularly comfortable with as part of the role. I may have had to put a little bit more pressure than I would have liked for my team, I would have perhaps made a decision to dismiss somebody that personally I really liked, or I have had people in my team that had a previous personal relationship with me. So it's really important, I think, to recognize that the person and the job, they're two separate things. There is a a book that I really like called the four agreements. I don't know if you have come across. No, that. I haven't. I'll definitely put a link to that in the show. Lovely, notes. lovely book. Uh, quite alternative. It's all about. Um, so it's not the. T- it's not a business book, but it's a thought-provoking book. It's by a person called Miguel Ruiz, and you can get it in English. In fact, it's one of these books that I bought when I read it. I bought like ten copies in both English and Spanish, and I sort of I've given it to people. And this book is about four four agreements, four basic uh, principles that can help us have a better life, better better mindset. And and one of those agreements is about don't take anything personally. And for me, this is about the same thing. Is don't just because 
um, someone, you may have a boss that is um, with whom you don't communicate really well with. That is an obstacle that has nothing to do with the job. So we need to separate that. You may have, I've had a, a, I remember one of the toughest and at the same time, most beautiful moments in my career was one that I, I was CFO of an organization and I was part of a management team. Um, I also looked after HR. And there was one particular director that as a colleague, I absolutely adored. I really liked him. He was a big person that supported me when I joined the business. But he wasn't the right fit, right? He was, his, his relationships were terrible. He, his cycle had finished. Right. So it was uh, through my input and obviously with the CEO's agreement, we ended up firing him. We let him go. So I remember sitting him down to talk to him about letting him go. And this was tough, you know, uh, because as a person, I really felt for him. But as a professional, I knew it was the right thing to do for the business. So we had this uh, discussion and uh, he wasn't expecting it. So it was, it was a big surprise for him. But anyway, at the end of the conversation, we, we gave each other a hug. Yes. And we've continued the process for him to leave in the most amicable, amicable possible terms. So to me, that is key. For, for not just managing the relationship with your boss, sep- making that separation, but in general, just you need to separate the two because um, otherwise you get into emotional conflicts and you, you let your personal feelings and your, you, they interfere with the job, they interfere with the decisions you make and, and your experience. Mm, yeah, I, I can think of a fairly similar situation where, it was right at the end of my employment for a in a normal job with a normal company before I went off in my, my own business. And I was working as part of the, tra- the transformation team in the company that I worked for. We were in a mess. Mm-hmm. And we had a, a the, the transformation team was turn, trying to turn the business around as best it could. And they, the revenue line was falling falling very very fast it was 2010 the uk government had just changed austerity had just arrived and essentially we had one customer the uk government who suddenly weren't spending any money we're a consultancy so mostly cost variable it's the consultants doing the work and we got rid of a lot of people but the problem was that getting rid of people wasn't enough we had to take costs back office costs and so on out of the business and the strategy director, John, and I got on very well. We'd done an awful lot of stuff together. We played good cop, bad cop around all the back office departments, really having, it was tough, but kind of having a lot of fun out of doing it at the same time, although it was in nasty circumstances. But there came a day when John realised that actually we couldn't afford the transformation team anymore. And yet we, we got on like a house on fire as a team. We were really successful mm-hmm. really up for a team and john had to sit us all down one by one now and mm-hmm. sorry we're letting you go and now it's a very very tough conversation but i remember in the in the weeks that followed that conversation actually having many chats with john and say and john was of the 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 type that he, he loved 
counseling and coaching people. So we had a couple of decently long sessions where, okay, John, I've got a few options. What do you think? And well, look, you're good at X, Y, and Z, Kevin. No, forget that line role. You're a consultant. You excel mm-hmm. in a consulting role. Go do that. And now we, John's job, he had to take it, take his own team out, get rid of them. But then John as a person was very much geared up to making sure that every one of those people that he was having to make redundant mm-hmm. was going into the right place, looking in the right, pla- right, right places, mm-hmm. maximizing their talents and going forward. And I, I think that's, that's all about separating the, the job from the person. I agree. And I think I, I have listened to people throughout, around me over the years a lot of them always sort of putting like putting the blame on their boss and and taking it's almost like it becomes a battle between them and us and him or her and I and it's not about that you need to part that uh, and move on and uh, otherwise it's it's just not helpful to to confuse two elements I think Uh, I think as an individual if you're ever placed in that redundancy position it's worth remembering that it's your job that it's being made redundant and not you as a person who is redundant. Yes. That is quite, it takes quite a lot of emotional maturity yes. <laughs> to, to, to recognise and to be able to, to mm. acknowledge that. You as a person still have a lot to offer somewhere else. It is the job that you've been doing that has been made redundant. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's separating the job from the person. I can see a lot of different scenarios that that's that's going to be very relevant isn't it? Now, knowing the personality type of the other person as well is, mm. is something and i'm actually minded of something we cover in our communications course in grow cfo for finance teams we talk about the four different personality types it's based on the disc profile, but I'm yes. taking something from Merrick Rosenberg, who actually I released, I, I interviewed Merrick on the podcast. That's, that's the current episode as we record this, Susanna and Merrick. I saw it. I saw it. I haven't listened to it yet, but I've seen it yeah. on my... And Merrick takes a disc and he converts the DISC into, into birds. So he's got the, the eagle, who typically the CEO, the, the 10,000 feet view, the parrot, the talkative one, is typically you sell the marketing type. The dove, who's very concerned, you know, kind of find a lot of doves in HR departments and so on. And then the owl. And Merrick made the point very clearly on the podcast, that the owl, he sees a lot of owls in finance teams, people that do the detail. Yes. And, and the point is that you know, there are four different personality types. Each have different ways of communicating. And you know, the person will be one of those four personalities. Mm -hmm. And to get the job done, kind of you've got to adapt. So Mm -hmm. if you're working for, um, if you're an owl and you're working for an eagle boss, well, (laughs) yeah, exactly. You know, he, the 10,000 people, you're not talking the same language. And (laughs) you've kind of got to recognize all of these things. Absolutely. And the, 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 the great example that, Merrick gave as well was talk, talking to the, sa- the head of sales. Again, one of the, the bosses in the company, budget time. Oh, 
I'm the, the, the head of finance or whatever, going in to see the head of sales. Uh, I, need to, I need to put the budget together. I need to know what the sales are going to be next year. And the head of sales just looks at you and says, it's going to be big. Yeah, but how do I put big into a spreadsheet? <laughs> and how do I measure the different components that make up that number? How do I yeah. track performance? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think as well, there's, yes, there's job and whether you like or dislike individuals and that sort of relationship, but there's also remembering the style. the style. And you've got to adapt to the style to get the job done. I agree. And to, yeah. and to balance, because if we, if we just sort of remember, go back to that original idea that here the purpose of working and being mindful of these areas is to balance that, the balance of power between you and the person that you're yeah. reporting to or that investor yeah. or whoever it is. And I, I think as well, if, you, if you're listening to this and finding all of this interesting stuff, now come along, have a look at our communications course within Grow CFO for Teams, because there's a lot of stuff in there, both in the first module of that team training package is, is communications. The second one is all about building relationships. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff that Susanna and I are talking about today that's covered in a lot of depth in that training course. So. We've covered mutual responsibilities. We've covered separating job from person. So the third one, finding your voice. I think this is helpful for everyone, but particularly, particularly for women, it has to be at the top, at the top of our priority. For me, finding our voice is about tackling conflict, not tackling, but managing conflict head on. And I can't remember whether we've done a podcast on managing conflict. It's one of the chapters in my book and it's something that I, a topic that is very close to my heart because if we don't learn to manage conflict appropriately, we're just not going to achieve and we're not going to enjoy. And there are so many good things that can come out of our ability to manage conflict. So I think finding our voice by making sure that when we are in those situations of conflict, we are able to put across uh, um, our perception, uh, what we need, obviously listening to the other party as well is a big part of it, but we need to be able to, with our boss, with our line manager, with that eagle CEO that we all have to report to and happily to, when you have that eagle, that lovely example that you have given me, if you're not able to, to find your voice, they're just going to eat you for breakfast. <laughs> so um, manage conflict appropriately speak up don't just receive receive and when you're very junior as well it's very it's very common for people to think things and not always be assertive enough to be able to express it I have been in in meetings I remember one of the management teams I was a member of there was one particular director that really did my head in because you would we discuss topics on the on the management table and he would be, yes, yes, yes. And whatever our CEO would say, yes, yes, yes. And the minute he walked out of the room, he'd go, and he'd go like a little dog barking everywhere around the office, 
complaining. I, I'm sure many of them, I mean, you must have seen behaviors like these a little oh, bit. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's not that I'm trying to be hard on this particular person, but come on. If you, A, he was a director, yes. And B, it's just not something healthy in any team or organization. So you have to find a way to express your ideas, your objections, your reservations, your your good alternatives in an open manner with that person um, or that stakeholder of interest that you have. And otherwise, you just don't, you're just not finding that balance of power and you're not adding value to the organization. So you have to be transparent. So for me, that's what's finding your voice. And it's important to to sometimes tell people what they don't want to hear. I mean, I remember a CEO that I worked for. I think I, a good job I did these things right because I would have lasted no time at all in the organization. This particular CEO was famous for not listening to people, for even cutting you off in the middle of conversations. I had a colleague, another female director in the board, that whenever she spoke, he would often almost take the reins of her presentation, literally shut her off and continue talking. These things happen in management meetings. Mm. And if we have, or or, or normal meetings, it doesn't have to be a management meeting, but we're the ones that have to be, hang on a minute, I have to find my voice. I have something to say. And, um, And I think one of my theories is that this particular colleague of mine Somewhere in her in her culture, in her subconscious, whatever you want to call it, she was too uh, subservient in in nature, and of course that didn't help her be heard and be respected. And ultimately, in that particular business, we ended up bringing. She was like a division director. She she was heading a business, and we ended up recruiting someone from outside, the new CEO for that division, because. The CEO didn't have confidence in her ability. And she was brilliant, but she just hadn't found her voice. So I get the problem. I get why it can do all the damage. In practical terms, Susanna, what can you do about it? How do you find your voice? What are the, what are, what's the ABC of how to find your voice? Okay. Uh, so tackling conflict head on, not shying away from that. Okay. I think also it's about um, being transparent with your your ideas and your thoughts and, and communicating them, not not shying away from um, almost like not don't sit on the fence because I think there's a lot of fence sitting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking of that right now, and that doesn't really help. And and just going for it if somebody cuts you if somebody's not listening you have to say can you please with this particular example uh, gentleman that I'm telling you about I I had to say to him please let me let me just finish my point let me and and once you get once you 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 make it transparently obvious that you do have something to say people will start listening to you and they will start not interrupting you in the middle of a meeting and they will take into account your your opinion. Because in fact, with this CEO, after a year of working in the organization, my colleagues would say to me, Susanna, I can't believe that he's, he, I was going to all the meetings with the investors. I was, he was talking to me about 
things that he wouldn't before have spoken to his team about. And it's because I had found my voice and therefore he had found interest in listening to that voice. Yeah, and it opened up a load of other doors. Yeah. Mm. So I guess and I, I can the practical ways you can do this, I suppose, sitting there is that, that it, it's not easy. There are three good things you've told, told me about, but there, there must be something about persistence in there. And belief. Yeah. <laughs> and I think going back a little bit to your example of um, earlier, if somebody is dismissed or made redundant, that it's not about, they're not, made, they're not redundant, their role is the redundant. I think with, the, with, with this is a lot to do with your own personal um, self-worth and, and your own in, in, internal voice. Yeah. You know? And if you are dealing with a stakeholder that is particularly stubborn, you know, that last step of you want to promote a one-to-one relationship, not a peer-to-peer, but yeah, professional to professional the relationship. To do that, you you need to be almost like the cheerleader at the back of your head yourself to say, come on, this is not me who is out of order or who is not me who has a potentially bad idea. This is me who has a lot to offer and who is also allowed to make mistakes and to ask silly questions and to promote the conversation. So there is a lot, I think, of confidence building in achieving this. And I remember one of the conversations I had a few years ago um, with one one of my mentors or sponsors in one of the businesses I work with. He said to me, Susanna, you have it all. You just need to work on your confidence. And then I, I, th- I thought I was confident, you know, and this is interesting as well because normally throughout my, my career and my life, people tend to think that I'm confident or they tend to think that I'm, you know, I'm quite open and you, you know what I mean, Kevin. Mm, we've, yes. we've spent enough time together. But actually, to in his mind, in, from his perspective, he was a very senior um, a stakeholder in globally at the business that I worked. Funnily enough, he could see my little doubts sometimes, and he could see not perhaps my lack of confidence, but where I didn't demonstrate sufficient confidence, as it were. Mm. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I this think it does. I think it does. Yes, but definitely one that you don't get overnight. You've got to work on. Absolutely. But if you don't, if you don't, if you don't try, you're certainly not going to get to where you want to. Which I guess leads to grow CFO and my book and what I, I'm passionate about doing is helping people understand that we we can all progress a lot. It doesn't. Yes. We may not all be able to get to the CFO job of a multi-million company. We may not all want that, actually. But it doesn't matter where you're at in your career. It doesn't matter what you want to get to. There is always room for growth and evolution. And and in that, we have an active part to play. It's not just about doing a perfect technical job, but it's not just about um, the opportunities. We can do a lot of things with our own self-awareness, with with our own behaviours to make the most of that journey. Mm, definitely, definitely. So the final one of your four areas we're going to look at, promoting professional to professional relationships. 
I think we've sort of covered that one in the in the earlier conversation um, because to me that is about not being overly subservient about valuing yourself so all the things we've just talked about on the yeah. at the end of the finding your voice um, topic yes and I, I suppose when I think about that that your take take the relationship with the CEO you're sitting there as the finance professional. The finance professional has an awful lot to bring to the CEO, the business professional. Mm -hmm. There's an awful lot of things that come from a finance perspective that can really make a difference to a conversation. Insights that you can give. And... I guess that comes back to finding your voice. If you haven't found your voice, you won't be giving those professional insights. And also, I think as finance professionals, we shouldn't be afraid to actually have a business mindset as well. Mm. For instance, one of the things I do now with my mentoring uh, activities um, is that I, I assist projects on general business things. Of course, finance is my niche, is sort of my area of expertise, but with all the years of experience that I have and having had my own business and all of that, you, I, I, have an, I, I feel I can have a strong, valid opinion on, on marketing, on sales, on other areas. And that's not just me. That's many of us out there in different finance things. And I think let's, let's try and drop this idea of, I'm the finance person. You are a valid professional with finance expertise, but someone that can add real value to the management team. And that's how I think we should walk into those meetings, not just thinking, right, I know about the budget. And, and that's yes. the, that, there's no need to create boundaries. That's what I'm trying mm. to say. I think that, that's absolutely right. You're, you're not confined to just that little slot on the agenda that says this month's business results. Exactly. You're one more at the table and you should, right. you should make it. I, I think my, my point, Susanna, is that you know, you'll have the marketing team or the sales team will be pushing certain products in the portfolio, certain things that they feel they want to sell. You can come to that with a different aspect about knowing the costs and the margins of those particular products. And knowing things behind the pricing of those products, knowing what the customer support mm-hmm. of those products cost. And you, I, can, you can add an awful lot of value into the sales and marketing conversation. And also, I think as finance professionals, we're very lucky. I certainly have worked in a number of industries. And many people have also done the same. Uh, so when you're walking into a business, I remember walking into uh, you know, when I, when I worked at then, so I, media business. Actually, the, my experience from TUI in the tourism industry and some of the challenges I'd seen there in, in the share services and interacting with the different uh, business units was useful in a different business. Yes. Because, and in the, in the actual, the commercial roles, the more um, business roles, they haven't had the benefit of that variety of seeing different landscapes, uh, different types of businesses with different challenges. So that's something pretty valuable, I think, that we can bring to a conversation as opposed to somebody that has spent their whole career in, in a particular sector. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think there's an awful lot of transferability of knowledge and of skills. 
And if you've seen some, something that works in the previous business and you think it's applicable to the business you're in, find your voice and talk about it. Bring it I forward agree. as a possibility. So, Susanna, we've talked about balancing the relationship with your boss, whoever that boss might be. Mm-hmm. And I can see as the, through the four things we've discussed that that could be at all sorts of levels. It could be CFO talking to CEO. It could be head of finance talking to CFO. It could be CEO or CFO talking to the investor. Absolutely. It could be any of those. And it's, I love the four points. So number one, establish mutual responsibilities. Number two was separate the job from the person. Number three was find your voice. Number four, professional to professional relationships. I think we've covered an awful lot behind each one of those, Susanna. We have. And hopefully we have made people listen and think, right, next time I'm going to be a little bit more assertive with my uh, boss, where that might be. And I think this also applies to more junior people that are the ones that are more reluctant to work on these things and of course if you have career ambitions you need to do these things to be taken seriously and to be seen as someone with potential and capability to grow and remember that in the grow cfo platform if you're a member you can go into the grow cfo team training area and you'll find an awful lot more on these subjects in firstly module one about communication and module two about building relationships um they're big big areas and those are the first two modules in the in the grow cfo for teams syllabus because they're the areas that cfos have told us that they Thank most you. they most want to pass on to their teams they're the things they see most important so if you want to find out more come along and join Grow CFO and have a look at those those areas. Susanna, thank you very, very much for being this week's guest again on the Grow CFO show. Thank you, Kevin. My pleasure as always.